Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would reach out your hand to save. Lord, for someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, let them feel your presence today. Let them feel your hands extended out to them, calling them to yourself. I don't care, Lord God, what we've done. You don't care what we've done. You come to us still, and you extend your hands to us. So I pray, Lord, that you will save today, that you will heal, that you will set free, and that your name will be glorified today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will fill my mouth with your words, your words of truth. And Lord, open our ears to hear and to receive what you're saying today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Well, good morning, new community. It's always a pleasure to be before you. I don't take it lightly. Uh, I do want to start by just, you know, thanking everybody who serves, media team, worship team, Kid City, youth, everybody. Could you just... So thankful. Truly, I'm, I'm so thankful for the work that they do uh, every Sunday, throughout the week, rehearsals and so on, prepping for today. And that's a good segue to my next point. If you have been attending New Community for some time, you love Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus, and you call this home, whether you are a member or not, I strongly encourage you to get involved, to volunteer. As you see, we've got our media team, we've got Kid City, we've got our youth groups, we have the worship team, connections, greetings, and so on. Um, many churches struggle uh, to get volunteers, and they typically have the same like 20 people volunteering. Uh, but if you've been here and you're being fed here, I encourage you, please volunteer. It's a good way to connect with our church, to connect with other people. So please do so. If you've got questions, you can come to me or another staff member and ask how you can get involved. Thank you for listening to that plug. <laughs> So uh, uh, thank you, Kimmy, for that, that uh, brief introduction about our sermon series. So this is an eight-week sermon series dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit, or the, the deep work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to take a moment just to take a, a congregational poll. Uh, just raise your hand if you grew up in churches where you heard teachings on the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit. Just, just a poll. Just Okay, seems like a majority of people, and if you could raise your hands that you never heard teachings on the Holy Spirit, ever, okay? Some, and maybe it's just like here and there, right? And so some of us may approach this with different feelings or different knowledge, and so I'm praying that this sermon series will be helpful for us. So for those of you who are accustomed to this kind of teaching, that through this series that your understanding, uh, but even more so communion with the, the Holy Spirit, uh, will be increased. And for those of you uh, for whom this is new, that your understanding will grow and your communion with the Holy Spirit will grow. So that's what we want to do, and that's why we're taking our time over eight weeks. So today, I'm really going to give more like a 50,000-foot view 
So don't be mad if I hit a, a great point that you like and I don't go deep because we're stretching this out over eight weeks and we're going to build upon it. So if I do my job correctly, and let me say this too, when I talk about this stuff and get into the scriptures, I get excited, so I have to stay focused and, you know, I, I got to stay on topic, you know, because there's so many rabbit trails I can take and I don't want to do that. So the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, a little background on this, uh, because this does bring up the topic, this isn't the sermon, but obviously uh, this is connected, uh, dealing with what we would call the Trinity, uh, the triune Godhead. Uh, if you've heard that term uh, that we believe and, and teach, uh, Trinity, the word is not in the Bible, you won't find it, but the concept is there, and that's just a theological term to identify that. Um, and so understanding that we serve one God, but there's complexities within the one God. There are, as we say, God in three persons. There are complexities, there's community, and we see these same three characters showing up throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. We just sang about Jesus, but I want you to know the New Testament is not the first place Jesus shows up because we learn He is God, the Word, in flesh. So we go throughout all of Scripture and we see Jesus is there. So as we understand the, the Trinity, how they work together, we see these three persons, they, um, uh, all of the same attributes are attributed to them, uh, they're eternal, uh, powerful. Um, all are connected with creation, salvation, and so on. You know, we, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, Scripture says the Father raised him up, it says Jesus raised himself up, and the Spirit raised him up. So they're all involved. So think of it as a unity that just can't be broken, right? One doesn't move without the other, okay? So as from my background, I grew up hearing about teachings of the Holy Spirit all the time. So I grew up, what you might say, Pentecostal charismatic, you heard those terms, where there's a greater emphasis on the Spirit, the working of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. So it was always being talked about, and yeah, growing up saw powerful moves of the Spirit of God. I also saw misuse of that, where uh, not that the Spirit was in error, but more so some people had a wrong understanding of the work of the Spirit and sometimes abuse people uh, because of their misunderstanding, right? So this is something that I know I need to be mindful of to the language that I use because there are terms that I grew up with that I'm used to using that some of you may not be used to, especially if you didn't grow up with this kind of teaching. And so I want to be sensitive uh, to that. Uh, one thing to note about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a force like electricity or some other force. This is not Marvel Comics, okay? The Spirit is not some power that you wield. This is not, you know, I get in my hero pose and you can see the glow coming on my hands of the Spirit in me. It doesn't work that way. The Spirit cannot be controlled or manipulated. This is God the Spirit, the eternal God that we're talking about who cannot be manipulated or controlled or wielded, but rather submitted to, okay? And that's what we'll be talking about in this series. Now I'm going to take my time and give us a little bit more history this Sunday, and I'm excited Dr. Edwards will come next week and, and bring more scholarly, uh, uh, more of a scholarly approach, um, and we'll continue with this series.
But the main theme for today, especially if you're taking notes, the main theme I want you to walk away with is this, that God dwells with his people. As we're understanding the work of the Holy Spirit, we'll begin with that, God dwelling with his people. And so, there's a history that we want to discuss here. My first reference for this is the tabernacle. If you raise your hands, if you've heard of the tabernacle, is that familiar to you? Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about the tabernacle. You can read about the tabernacle or tent of meeting in Exodus chapters 25 through 31 and 35 through 40, where God is spelling out what this is going to look like. Um, so yeah, just take a look at the, the diagram. You can see the tabernacle within the camp. and. So today will not be an explanation of everything with the tabernacle, but there are key elements when you study the tabernacle, uh, this is powerful, but when you study the tabernacle and all of the elements that God had them put in place, the sacrifices, the holy of holies, then you can see how that points to the work that Jesus does and fulfills. Okay, so this is why even though it's Old Testament, it's Israel, this is why this is so important, because you get to see how God has been working throughout history. Okay? And Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of what God has been doing in history. So my first reading for you is Exodus 25. Exodus 25 verses 1 through 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. This is the word of the Lord today. So we start with the tabernacle. Why is this important? Well, you know the history of Israel, okay? We, we know Genesis, the issue of uh, human sin, the fall, and all of that. And so uh, when we come to the people of Israel, God is naming for himself a people uh, through which he will work his wonders, his truth, and declare that to the rest of the world, okay? So when God chose Israel, it was never just about Israel. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. Through them, God would show his glory to the surrounding nations. And so this is early on in their, uh, uh, in their journey. They just came out of uh, Egyptian bondage, and they saw all of the wonders of God, the plagues. They saw uh, the Red Sea parted. I mean, this is beautiful, wonderful. They see the power of God on display. But the key thing that we want to focus on in this series before we get to the power and the working of the Spirit, and I think this is the most important point is that God is choosing to dwell among his people. If there's no other point you get, that's the main one. God, the infinite God who created everything, spoke the world into existence, is choosing, get that word, choosing to dwell with his people. 
And God gives specific instructions. As we saw uh, in, in verse 8, God says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. What is this about where the sovereign Lord who creates everything seeks to dwell among people? This is foreign, obviously, in the pagan religions of that time because the gods don't come among us. The gods don't dwell. So you see something very clear that God is doing. I will be among you. And for those of you who are craftsmen and artists and read about the tabernacle, God is so detailed and so specific and that they had to build this tabernacle according to God's specifications. Every detail met. So check it out. I gave you the chapters, Exodus 25 through 31, 35 through 40. It's so beautiful, the details that God gave. And on top of that, God also empowers or uh, uh, gives wisdom to people to actually create the plans God communicates. So God says, here's my plan, and I'm also going to fill people with wisdom to do what I want carried out. So it is beautiful. So don't ever think you can't give your work to God. Whether you're an artist, a business person, whatever, give that to God and let God fill you with wisdom. It's all over the Bible, God doing that. But God is choosing to dwell among the people. Exodus, I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you because that's what I do, but um, it's also beautiful, just the stories I think just, they, they tell us what's happening. Exodus chapter 33. Verses 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now, this is not the tabernacle. The tabernacle is, at this point, still being constructed, that image that, that I showed you. So this was like a temporary meeting place. But the focus of this was that this was a place that God designated that I will come and meet you. Right? Anyone that had questions about God, challenges needed to sort things out, they would come to Moses to go to this tent to inquire of the Lord, and this is where God would show up and meet. Mind you, the tabernacle, this tent of meeting, doesn't control God, doesn't contain God, but it is the sovereign Lord saying, I will meet you here. I will choose to come to you here. Now before this, especially when you get to Exodus 20, you know, there at Mount Sinai, God gives the Ten Commandments, you know, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's, I mean, this is a display, and God was speaking from heaven, right? So much so that in Exodus 20, the people come to Moses and they're like, Moses, can we have a word with you, please? 
um, okay, can you tell God to stop talking to us? Because if God talks to us one more time, we're going to die. Like, I, I want you to understand the sovereign Lord, the creator, the presence of God that they're experiencing in a very tangible way, and people want to die. So get that imagery in your mind when you think about the holy Lord. <laughs> and they said, Moses, bro, you talk to God, and um, uh, God will tell you whatever, and then you talk to us. That's how we're going to do it. So, but what you see is God, the sovereign Lord, who is above us, beyond us, transcended, can't be comprehended, can't be manipulated. How do you understand a God like that? How do you understand a being who has always been? For us, our experience, things start, they end. We're born, we die. How do I understand a being that is self-existent? No beginning, no end, it's just been here. My mind can't comprehend that, all-powerful, all-knowing. I cannot compute that. Finite human beings cannot compute that. So the only way for us to, to understand God or get to know God is God has to reveal himself. God has to initiate it. God has to do something. And that's what I want you to get in the scriptures. This is God saying, this is where I will come and meet you. You can't contain me. You can't control me. You can't understand me, but, uh, understand me, but let me make myself known to you in this way. Thus, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was, was to be the place where sacrifices would be made, atonement for sins. I mean, it's essentially the temple, but it's just a smaller mobile version, essentially. They were nomadic people, so they had to be able to tear it down and, and move on whenever God said. And they would see the visible presence of God at this tent of meeting that Moses would go to, the tabernacle. It would be smoke and clouds and stuff, so people knew that God was here. So sit with that for a moment, that God, the Creator, is here. God is among us. God is seeking to make Himself known. And then I want to move on now to the temple. So that was the tabernacle as they were traveling and so on. Now we've got the temple. Now the temple. Yes, I believe this is an image of the second temple, uh, a temple, but um, this is obviously a more permanent structure in the life of Israel that we read about uh, clearly in the New Testament. The people would go to the temple to worship, sacrifices. So the tabernacle, it's the same thing. Atonement for sin was made there. Uh, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for the sins of all the people. Still, get that imagery, you understand what Jesus is doing on the cross? Okay, but still this was a place where God said, I will put my name here. So in 2 Samuel, this is not up here, I'm just referencing this, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you know, King David, you all heard of King David, um, he's living in his palace and he's thinking, you know what, uh, you know, the presence of God, God is still dwelling in this tabernacle, that's what they still had, the tabernacle, this tent. I want to build a house for God. Now, of course, God talks to uh, David and responds, like, listen, did I ever say I needed a house? Did I ever complain? I've taken y'all through Egypt, I've done all this stuff for y'all, did I ever complain? 
But still, God decides, but yeah, we'll build a house, but you won't build it, your son will build it. So King Solomon, that's why first it was called Solomon's temple, he builds the temple. So in 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, 1 Kings chapter 6, the guy that, yep. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father, and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people. Israel. There we have it again. Just like the tabernacle, God gave very explicit instructions for building the temple and what was to go in it. You had the Ark of the Covenant, right, where you had the, the cherubim and the mercy seat in between, and inside you had the tablets, the stone tablets, with the, which the Ten Commandments were on that God gave Moses, that sat in the Holy of Holies. But it is God choosing to put his name there. Yeah. I will dwell among you. If I, if I go back to Moses for a moment, in that passage that I read um, in Exodus 33, just before that, because uh, the people the people were rebellious. So before this, I think somewhere in Exodus 30, we had the golden calf incident, right? So Moses is on Mount Sinai, and then he's gone for too long, and the people lose their minds, and they're like, you know, Aaron, you know, you make us a golden calf, a god that we can serve, right? So they rebelled against God, right? And so earlier in that chapter, Exodus 33, God says this, here's what I'm going to do. Because uh, they're journeying to the land, and God says, okay, I'm going to send my angel before you. My angel will protect you and keep you, but get this, I'm not going with you. My angel will protect you, but my presence will not be with you, because these people are rebellious. Later in that chapter. Moses is like, listen, God, if you don't go with us. See, in this moment, it's not all about the wonders and the miracles and the power. It's your presence. If you don't go with us, don't send us from here. And then God renews his promise. Listen, I'm going with you. Okay. But you understand the issue of sin and, and so on. God's like, I ain't going with you. God's presence, God's saying, I'm going to dwell with you. Just like here with the temple, God is saying to uh, King Solomon, listen, walk in my ways and I will live among my people. You want to understand the Holy Spirit, and we're getting there because Old New Testament, the Spirit is here all around. This is the Spirit of God. So we don't just encounter the Holy Spirit in the New Testament either. But I want you to see God's heart and what God is doing. I will live among my people. And during this time, the Spirit of God was there. We see the Spirit of God in creation, you know, early on the Spirit is hovering over the waters. I mean, so the Spirit of God is there, but the Spirit was not given yet. So, so the Spirit of God didn't indwell people, the Spirit would just come and come upon people to do certain tasks and then leave. So that's how it worked. 
And so God says, let's construct a way that I will meet you. So we have the temple. Um, and continuing with the temple, we're coming to 1 Kings chapter 6. So this is after the temple has been built, and this is like Solomon's prayer of dedication. Okay? 1 Kings chapter 6. Is it up there yet? Okay. A little bit up there. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 22 through 29. I'll just start reading. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in, the, in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now Lord, the God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor sit, to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear, my, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. The dedication of the temple you see Solomon's own understanding that even the heavens cannot contain you. Reflect on the majesty of our Lord, the unseen God who's making himself visible. That is saying, I will live among you, walk in my ways, but I will make my presence dwell with you. And God puts all these things in place, yes, sacrifices because of sinful humanity. How can God, holy God, dwell with sinful humanity? Sin has to be punished. And so God came up with the sacrificial system to do what? This is the way that I can deal with sin and not end you. So bulls and sheep and goats, they will die in your place. Okay? So you understand that in the Old Testament. You can now understand Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Sin is a problem, but God does something about it. This is, how, this is how you must approach me because I'm holy. You can't come any kind of way. And so in the Old Testament, that's how it was. You got to come in this kind of way. You have to do certain washings, cleansing, all of these things. But the point is, I will dwell among you. 
I will be with you. That's Old Testament. God still has the same purpose in mind, the same intent in mind. So as we cross over to the New Testament, hmm, God dwelling with among his people. That sounds familiar. I hope it sounds familiar to you. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's that word, dwelling, living among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The unseen God continues to make himself known. And in this case, it's not about the temple anymore. Even though the temple was still there and they still worshiped then. But when Jesus comes on the scene, this is God saying, I'm doing something new. It's not about these beautiful structures anymore. Those are just placeholders. Now we have God incarnate. God clothed in flesh. Jesus, who comes. God is insistent on dwelling with us. Are you seeing the pattern that doesn't change from Old to New Testament? The method changes, but the heart doesn't. Please reflect on God with us. The sovereign Lord with us. And just wondering, as you reflect on that, does that change anything for you? And I'm praying throughout the sermon series that God would heighten our understanding, because human beings, we forget, you know. But Lord, heighten our understanding of what that means of the, the Almighty God dwelling with us. Does that change anything about us? We're getting to the work of the Spirit, but does it change anything? Does it make any difference in the way I live, how I think, what I do, how I see the world around me? What does the presence of God mean? You know, it, it caused me to reflect when I was in, um, I think elementary, yeah, I don't know. I was kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I, I, I can't remember. I was young, okay? So I was young in school, and I don't know if you had a mom like me, but my mom, I had a stealth mom. Like my mom would show up to the school unannounced. Like I don't know if you had a parent like that who just show up unannounced. So I remember a day where I'm like, I'm in class and I, I think I, I, I may have been cutting up. I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing. I, I can't remember. But I'm in class doing whatever and then I turn and look and there she is standing in the room and you can imagine my response. Do you think I changed my behavior? In that moment, yeah. Her presence changed everything. The way I thought about myself in that moment, what I was doing, everything changed. Everything looked different. Question your life choices. <laughs> exactly. Question my life choices. 
Uh, and I, did, I, I think that was a day I did get in trouble. I really did. I was doing some stuff. Uh, 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 but, you know, and that's just a human understanding. But think about that because God used, has used these examples to drill this into me. Well, if that was my reaction to my mother, who is a finite, flawed human being, how much more should I respond that the living God is here right now? Here. That the eyes that matter are the eyes that see everything all the time. Where scripture says nothing is hidden from your sight. Daytime, nighttime doesn't matter. God sees it all. The motives of my heart I cannot hide. If that's my response to my mother, Lord, heighten my awareness of you, the judge of the earth, that when I leave this planet, you're the one I'm going to stand before and give an account. And you know everything. Does that change anything for us? And that's not just coming in here. That's everywhere, every day. Every time, and I'm like, God, what, what would that be like for us to be a people that live constantly aware of your presence 24-7? What would that do for the world around us? What would that do in our lives? The work of the Holy Spirit, God dwells among us. Sit with that, because that's going to do all kinds of thing in us, things in us, and I, and I pray it convicts all of us, because I know I, I, as I reflect on this, God, you see everything. You've chosen to come dwell with us. A few more passages. We talked about God with us. But it gets even deeper than that. John 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, this is Jesus, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So we've gone from God making his presence known to now God incarnate, and now Jesus, God in flesh, saying, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. Spiritual reality. Do you see the shift from the tabernacle to the temple? to these temples. See, when we get to the New Testament, God is no longer interested in dwelling in structures and things made with human hands. No, God wants to dwell in temples that he created. Yeah. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Yeah. 
so you must honor God with your body. Now, the context that Paul is speaking in, he's challenging the church because they, they're dealing with all kinds of sexual immorality, and so that's what leads him to this statement. Your body's not for that. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is why you can't live in that way, because you belong to God. You are not your own. You don't own yourself, right? And we see that thing throughout Scripture, even when God is talking to Israel, I am your God, you are my people. The point is, you belong to me. The Spirit is doing the same thing. So for us who are believers, who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, when you trust in Jesus, the Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. These temples. We don't control God, we don't manipulate God, we don't wield God, but yet God is saying, I'm going to put my name on you. Come on. I'm going to dwell with you, and I'll be in you. The work of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is God coming to dwell. Let that sink in for a moment. But how can the almighty, holy God dwell in sinful humans? Right there. That God, the Word, comes in flesh and takes on our sin and dies for us. It says that he takes away the sins of the world. Why? To cleanse these temples so now the living God can dwell in us. Not just with us, but in us. It is because of Jesus Christ. It's not because I'm so good and wonderful and so holy. No, it's because of his work that now the Spirit can come and dwell in these temples. It's not about your perfection. It's about his perfection. And we'll talk later about the work the Spirit does in transforming us, transforming our behaviors and the things that we do. We'll get there, but just sit this morning with the sovereign Lord that has come to dwell, not only with us, but in us. And it is the Holy Spirit that says, you are mine. Paul writes in another place that, that the Holy Spirit, he says this, is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is kind of like, you know, if you, I don't know if they do this anymore, but you know, it's like a house marked sold. I know, it's not a perfect example, but think of the, that's the, the in a sense, God saying, I'm putting my mark on you, you belong to me. I give you my Holy Spirit that says, you belong to me now. You're no longer yours, you're mine. You're going to need that understanding, so as we talk about the Spirit who's working, that's what this is about. God has come to dwell with His people. So I'm asking this morning. Does that become real to you? Or I pray that it does become real to us. 
our finite minds, I get it. We get lost in the hustle and bustle of the day. But what would that look like for us, believers, who begin to take this seriously? That the Lord will heighten our understanding. You're not only with us, but you're in us. And what are the implications of that? And I'll tell you something else. It doesn't end with us because God is after more temples. Yeah. That's part of the work of the Spirit. That's why we preach the gospel, because God is after more people. There are people maybe here today who don't know the Lord. God is after you. Jesus is longing for you. He's coming after you. I want you to know that as much as you run, as far as you run, you cannot hide. The king is looking for you. He wants you. He died for you. And he wants to fill you in the same way. Cece, you can come on up, bro. So the takeaways, from the tabernacle to the temple to these temples, God's purpose is to dwell with us and in us. And as you go about your day, your weeks, just marinate on that. Let that be the foundation for this series. God is after us. God wants to commune with us. God won't leave us alone. Now it's up to us whether or not we want to pay attention. It's up to us whether or not we want to say yes. I pray you do. But that's what we mean when we ask God to come dwell. He's here, yes. But Lord, we want to commune with you as you make yourself known. We want to commune with you. And let that truth transform us completely. And I think that when we grasp this church, we will not be the same. Our world will not be the same. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word to your people. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who sits in heaven, but you didn't leave us alone. You came to dwell not only with us, but in us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you make yourself known to us, your people. Lord, that we will surrender to your will today and the work that you are doing in us. Lord, that we will say yes to you even in the hard things, the challenging things. That you will renew our minds every day to be more like Jesus, to be more the people that you call us to be. And Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for coming to dwell in us. Thank you so much for your love, and may you be glorified in these temples. Lord, that you no longer dwell in buildings and structures, but you dwell in these hearts. Be glorified today in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.